you are not the only one without any context being brought in here. That's been that. the running theme. So to give you some background before we get started, one, we're already rolling. It's already go. Beauty. So uh, the context, I think in general, we know a lot of times when it comes to doing something creative, to produce something, to make something, a lot of time is spent talking about what is it, what's it for, meetings on meetings on meetings. And a lot of times those things just don't happen. A great idea just is never executed. So I just started bringing people in here. It's all about creativity. The idea that there's different perspectives on what creativity is. In the last episode, I believe it was, Adam Sofer and I actually got in a conversation around that potentially there's a VAK, a learning style of creativity, that we approach and we perceive creatively differently based off our own brains. Now look at a person like you who's sales and accounts, yet you're definitely one of the most creative people in this building, without a doubt. Appreciate that. So I think there's conversations to be had around your perception of creativity, how you approach it, especially when you have to consider your day-to-day of growing this business, you know, keeping clients happy. And yet you can still come with this intense creative energy. So my question is, where does that come from? What is creativity to you? So I think creativity, I I never thought I was a creative person until I got to be late teenager, early 20s, when my brother would often refer to me as a creative. And I think that's because he was passionate about creativity and he was always in design. He was always making something, always had a laptop in front of him on his lap. And for me, I grew up playing sports. I grew up trying to be the funniest person in the room. And a lot of my creativity stems from the fact that from a very young age, I wanted to be validated and I wanted to be the individual in a classroom that was the class clown because number one, if I was able to help people be distracted from my shortcomings, they would never notice them. So some people take the the approach of, well, let me make fun of myself first and let me take a deprecated sense of humor and everyone else, then they won't point it out because it's already been said. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, forget that, man. Let them think that you're amazing at everything that you do and let the haters come at you because you'll be able to separate those in your life that you appreciate versus those in your life who are just trying to knock you down a peg. But a lot of it stemmed from, you know, when you grow up in an environment where you have very little chances to speak and when you have a chance to speak, You want to maximize that time on stage to the best of your ability because what was always important to me is people's approval. So I use the word validation. Mm -hmm. And when you're young and you're put into an environment at six, seven, eight years old where you're at a country club with your father and you're carrying a set of golf clubs that's beyond way too heavy for you and you have to speak in front of individuals who are dressed up, established adults towering over you and that chisels away a lot of the intimidation. So from a very young age, I was never intimidated to just speak my mind, to get things out. But when you have a high standard and you know you have the pit bull chasing your ass, you got to find a way to run and you got to find new ways to get away. So back to what I was saying, like I didn't realize that I had creativity until other people started telling me that I was creative, but it really just came from me trying to solve problems. That That's it. That's been the answer almost every single time is problem solving. <laughs> is some sort of passion mixed with problem solving, which is interesting. But now you, and one, I didn't introduce you which is fine because it says right there on the podcast who we're talking to. So Brian Senna, head of growth and whatever your actual title, is that your actual title? Head of growth is the title, but I find that I actually don't really like that title for a few reasons, but think of growth. I mentioned it this morning too, internally and externally. How do we grow DS in these four walls? How do we make our people better, our ideas better, our work product stronger? Outside these four walls, how do we get people excited enough to come in and buy what DS is selling and doing? Because let's be real, it's pretty exciting. So- <laughs> But now you talked about problem solving by, in a way, acting out or acting big as a form of validation. But now I don't understand how that actually translates to work. 
So if a client has, they need a, a big idea, they need a campaign, they need a, they need content, they need media, like you have ideas and they're constantly flying out. Well, how does validation play into that? Well, because you're trying to get down to the point where they say yes to something or they fall in love with you. And throughout the whole process, what I'm doing in, in every step of the way is I'm trying to reverse engineer the moment or the situation so that I can make that individual or those individuals fall in love with me. A happy accident or a byproduct is the rest of the team at DS is motivated, is inspired, and maybe they fall in love with me or they hate me or whatever. <laughs> There's some form of emotion that they have. But I'm listening to a client and they're articulating their problems genuinely. And because I'm such an empathetic person, I'm hearing those problems. And while they're speaking, I'm very much absorbing that in and it becomes ammunition. The weapon then becomes this ability to throw something back at them to make them feel comfortable. So a lot of what I'm doing, a lot of the creativity is a problem solution or I'm solving something and I full well know it, but I'm doing it in a way that it's not disguised by any means because I'm genuinely doing it. It's just I think ideas are always free flowing because I'm finding ways to hear what someone's saying and then saying, well, how would I solve this in real time like MacGyver? And you know, a good example is when you're pitching and you show up to the meeting and you're prepared and all of a sudden you get like a curveball question or one of the toughest people in the room doesn't want to buy into you. So they come at your heels. Now at that point, you're already storing a lot of ammunition for the person who's been talking the whole time, right? one of their coworkers, one of their teammates. And so in those moments, what I just try to do is I try to connect back a solution that I'm already thinking about for this other person and go on the defensive. And that's a lot of my creativity, Where I'm, why I'm misunderstood, I think, is a lot of my creativity happens on the fly mm-hmm. and it's exciting and they're fire starters a little bit, right? I, I throw out kindling wood and then better creatives, stronger thoughts end up taking stage, but everyone remembers Brian. That's by design, first of all. But second of all, where I'm my most creative is when I have time to visualize and think. Before any pitch, I don't get any sleep. It's not because I'm nervous. No way it's because I'm nervous. It's because- You don't sleep anyways. True, but but the, when, before a pitch, I really don't sleep because I am visualizing the conversation and the scenario. So I'm visualizing ideally how I want things to happen. And while I'm doing that, it allows my mind to be open and be free and not be thinking about the minutiae. Do I need a new filter for my refrigerator? Did I close the garage? Do my feet hurt? I'm not thinking about these things. When I'm focused on the end goal or you know creativity, I guess you put in air quotes, other things just start to come to me. And I think when you start to have an open mind and you start to allow your mind to just veer off to be that disruptive guy who's acting out, that's where most of my good ideas come from. And then I almost pressure test myself because I'm like, no, that's not good enough. And then I keep pushing and I keep pushing, but my mind is already in a creative space. And so that's why I typically don't sleep before big pitches, before big meetings. And that's why typically I come to meetings with a lot to say, because I've been thinking for 16 hours. And is that purposeful or can you not help it? You're visualizing a conversation, a pitch, the things you're going to say, the questions or the responses they might have, and you're, you're constantly maneuvering, right? You're, you're creating that game in your head. Do you plan that? Do you say, I'm, I'm going to be up time. I'm going to drink my... What is that crazy drink you drink? Your mate? Yeah. Tea? Uh, you drink your mate. I could see you in your meditation room working through this. Are you doing that on purpose or can you not help it? If, if I took you out of that setting and I threw you somewhere else, would you be in that? Definitely. I, I can't help it because maybe if I was more vulnerable and maybe if I you know, cared a little bit less about the outcome or if I cared a little bit less about what people thought of me and I was a little bit more secure, 
yeah, maybe it'd be different. Maybe I'd say, well, let me prepare to a certain point and we'll be good. Mm. But no, I'm addicted, man. I'm addicted to the stage and I'm addicted to exciting things. And I think what's, what's most exciting, like if you could do something, there's a lot of cliches out there. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. You know, anything you do, give it your all. Like there's those cliches have clout to me though, because whenever I do anything, I do it to like the 30th nth degree. I don't just do it to the, to the nth degree. I do it beyond. So you maximize that. I think, no, it's impossible. If you were to take me out and put me in Portland, Oregon or Salem, Oregon, where I was two years ago, I was 3000 miles away from here. And I was still thinking about something to that degree. Right now. Now, how do you control it? Because I think one element with creativity, especially in the writing world is what is it? How do I control it? How do I turn it on and off? What if it goes away and never comes back? So there's some, some people point toward to drinking problems with writers. Cause you know, it's that fear of, I don't, I can't control this thing and I'm trying to make a, a living off of this. And it's always just out of my, my reach. And so controlling it, understanding it, you know, being able to turn it on at the right times so that you can survive is kind of part of this conversation about this podcast is what is creativity and how do we actually use it? How do we turn it on and off? So if, if you can't control it, if it is this drug for you, you're talking about a preparation. But what if I say right now, Brian, I'm going to take you into this pitch. How do you turn it on? How do you control it? You didn't have time to visualize it. You didn't have time to prepare, but now you have to be creative. You have to come up with ideas on the spot. How do you do that? Where is that? Oh, I think that inspiration comes from exactly in the moments where I can't prepare. And that is, are we going in a room with just people from DS? And do I have to form camaraderie and feel those feelings of love and feel validated? Yes or no? Is it with new faces, people I haven't met before? So there's an, there's an added element of pressure and tension and stage, if you will. And then things just get better, right? If, we, if you pulled me aside and you were like, Bri, we have to take a train to the city right now. We're going to a networking event and we have to pitch ideas on stage. I would be amped. The whole train ride, my energy would be to another octave because that's you're just creating a scenario where I'm on, I'm on stage and I'm being judged. I think I can't control it. And part of the problem why I'm difficult to work with or I create pain in my life is because when I get a product, like I buy a new car as an mm. example, I'm using that product for what it is. And I typically don't go too deep into customizations. I don't, like if I download a new app, I'm not personalizing every single experience. I'm not the guy who uses the custom filters. I just use a product as it's intended to be used. And I'm if it's good enough to my standard, whatever that standard is, great. If not, I throw it away and never use it again. I typically don't break things down and re-engineer things that are already built because I don't spend my creativity on that. Where I spend a lot of my creativity and where I can't control it is things that I prioritize as being important. Why that's really difficult to work with me is because sometimes I'm spending a lot of time with a pen and a pad in the lab, quoting Shady. That was a little slim Shady line right there. When it, the when I'm doing that, it's for things that someone else might not deem as super high priority or very important. So where I think I could start to control it more is being more open and communicating with people around me about like, hey, this is how I'm thinking about it. Because someone might be able might be able to jump in and say like, I wouldn't spend my time there. Or, oh my God, that's genius. Can I help? So a lot of it, I think, is self kind of induced. Your style of creativity. I would say it's a like Tasmanian devil-like style of creativity. Hell yeah. Has it always been that way? People have said you're creative, but this rambunctious creativity, was that born here or was that born somewhere else? Because I can't imagine previous jobs you've had, like Unilever, accepting or celebrating that style of creativity. I've been super fortunate because I'm, I balance the rambunctiousness with charm. Good example is growing up in school, I was always 
getting in trouble. I was always being chastised by my teachers because I talked so damn much and I was very disruptive in class. And it always came at times when I was done learning the lesson. So I'm like, if I know it, everybody else should know it too. Let's have fun now. Or if I saw something that was boring or uninteresting to me in class, I assumed other people felt that. So I would turn to humor. But what always saved my my booty was that I would charm the teacher and remind them that it was coming from a good place or remind them that this is how I really feel. So I was always rambunctious. I was always a little bit mischievous. You know, I was the person who would put the thumbtack on the chair or would, you know, prank individuals that were around me because something about monotony and something about routine drives me nuts. It's bizarre. Like I like routines if I can get in them, for instance, going to the gym at the same time every day, waking up at the same time. I start to feel good and conditioned because I think my creativity finds a more comfortable place, but not routine and status quo, long drawn out conversations, things that were my expectations can tell what's going to happen next. I really don't like that. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I believe you're the 10th person I've spoken to. And I've always felt that creativity is just rebellious thinking. It's everyone is thinking one way you break off of that. And it's the same way you live your life. So that's why so many creatives are creative types. They're odd. They stand out from the crowd because they hate the status quo. If there's chaos, they want to, you know, they want to find the patterns. If there's monotony, they want to create chaos. They want to do the opposite. But I think there's a, a conflict in my understanding of your creativity in that, you know, you want validation, but at the same time, you seem to exhibit a ton of confidence. Those seem to conflict in my mind. It's not real. It's not, it's just not real. The confidence is actually a construct and that's the beauty of it because it's all around validation. So the whole thing is, is like I'm selling my ideas so strongly and so confidently so that you say it's great so that I could feel comfortable. Think about it like this. I'll, I'll settle your conflict right now. Look at all the things that I do in my personal life that are creative. Virtually none. I don't go and oftentimes, and now granted there's things like building a fire pit or customizing my car or Raising whatever. Raising chickens. Yeah, like these things that there's mild elements of creativity, but I'm not the type of person who's like, oh, well, you know, I just took apart my microwave because I didn't think it had enough voltage or wattage. So I curiously broke it down and rebuilt it. So now it's stronger. Not the type of person. I don't take components from one watch and bring it to the next and you know, I'm not setting up my Netflix subscription to serve me a certain way. A lot of my creativity is contingent on, hey, is this moment good for Brian? And is everyone around me kumbaya and feeling good? And so if you'll notice why, I'll, why I sell my ideas so strongly is because once someone's like, that was awesome, then I go, yeah, that was awesome. I'm awesome. And that's one extra win in the comfort cap. That like, I just want to be comfortable. Now, and what do you do when they don't respond that way? Because, keep thinking. Because you're a, you're a machine gun of, of ideas and of energy. And I, I see the impact it has. Sometimes you don't get that validation. Sometimes people just sit back and listen. So what is going on inside Brian? What's going on inside the creative mind when the validation is not coming? Because every day a creative faces that they, they put themselves into the work. They put a little pieces into it. They make it their baby. And a lot of times it dies. And so that's happening to you. <laughs> you know, the, the salesman, the head of growth, you know, an account guy gets to feel that pain every day. What's going on inside you during that? It's like a comedian on stage and no one's laughing. <laughs> you, they're going to either keep telling jokes or they're going to give up. I don't ever give up. I, so I, for me, it's if, if a client's not buying something, there's something wrong in the approach because I know that I have really good things to sell and I have good things to say. So if somebody's not buying or saying yes, or they're not happy or they're not, you know, 
vibing. I'm just going to keep digging. Yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be gold somewhere in the soil. Some shit like, but there's other examples too. I want to talk about creativity in, from a rambunctious angle. Validation is a big piece of it, but I also, I also keep my mind on the end goal all the time. Good examples when we were in that meeting and we got challenged on our way of thinking and we needed an idea and fast or else we were going to get wrapped up into a ton of budgetary issues and we were building an Alexa skill just to give you reference on the meeting. And in that meeting, I used the analogy of, well, guys, I th- I was able to think of that because I felt like a squirrel backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. All I could do is lash forward for survival. And I knew that what we were saying wasn't being validated. And whether they were my ideas or they weren't, I was immediately connecting dots and saying, well, what is missing? We're not tied back to the bigger campaign. Whether we agree with it or not, we got to get to yes because we got to get moving on this. And so I was focused on the outcome of like, I want to build the goddamn skill. I don't want to, I don't care at the end of the day what the idea is because we're going to make the idea great. So I found a way to get to yes. All right, now go further on that. What we made was great. What got delivered, what happened, came to life to the public was less than your hand was deep down inside of that. And, and what you created <laughs> was chopped up. Do you want the cop out answer? The cop out answer is what no, I, wa- I wasn't, I wasn't involved after a certain point, right? I stepped back just for whatever reason, priorities or who knows. Um, I think if I was closer to it, Oh, I would have fought tooth and nail for the control of knowing what we did was great, but I pacified it because I knew we had already gotten all the validation we needed me. Anyway, I was mm-hmm. satisfied and filled up and said, we're good. And, but I think if I was closer to it and I felt offended and I felt the work and sweat that you guys put into it be degraded. Oh yeah. I would, I would fight hundred percent. Do you ever feel like this, what we do, the, the creativity, uh, sacrificing some of its creative prowess to be safer, to be more down the middle, to appeal to more people. Do you ever feel like you're selling out? Yes and no. I, I think for the first three years I was here in a formal creative environment I felt like we were losing and I felt like we were just being used. And then I said, well, wait a second. We're still coming up with a tremendous amount of thinking. And although it gets a little distilled and it gets a little smoothed down on the belt sander, that means that we're not selling in well enough. So when people say like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're selling out and at some point you're, you're whoring yourself out or whatever. No, you're not selling in enough because if creative is getting smashed, you either didn't have enough insights and data, you either didn't sell it enough, you didn't make it relevant based on your goals up front. And so now I've been thinking, being much more in a sales environment, like if something's not getting bought, it's not being sold well enough. And there's always the anomaly, right? There's always the individual who goes to a place full well knowing they don't want to buy just to challenge the salesperson, get it. But if we have a partner and that partnership is leaning on us for something and, uh, they distill us down or they they whittle down our ideas and we feel like we're losing ourselves. I think it just gives us more motivation to push harder because we did that recently. Let's just say they were a global client. There was a campaign. We did that recently where it was like we were knocked against the wall. But once we got over our own ego, we realized, hey, there's some validity to this feedback. And I think it got us to a stronger place. I don't even remember what you're talking about. <laughs> let's just say it's it's mild. Uh, we had to be a little bit. Nuts. I think that's a it's it. We touched on a little in past episodes, the that that concept of selling out or or giving up some of your creative control on things and for me you know my response is i i don't think about it i just move on i can't help that like maybe it's because i've been beaten up so many times over the years i've been in so i've lost so many times i make something as great as i can make it i work with them if this if this works as a team then great and then i move on to the next one versus some people who feel that pain 
and it eats at them. And I, th- I think it in the long run, it's tough to stay in this industry for for this many years if you bleed after you bleed when you residual create. wounds. Yeah, but then you got to just I I just on. sell in harder. For me, it doesn't bother me. I think my people have accused me of being burnt out. Like, oh, you're you're burnt out. You've worked too hard. No, that's not even close to the truth. Like for me, you sell in harder, find new ways, or find new passions. Yeah, you know. But I, I don't. I think what we do is there's there's a lot of noble work that we do, and a lot of it a lot of it is therapy. It's therapy for somebody, whether it's a consumer or it's our clients. A lot of what we're doing is therapeutic, and I I, I really do think that marketing. I think the people that say marketing is about buzzwords and fluff and oh, I don't buy into any of that stuff. Marketing is a lie. I think people who say that are probably the most insecure people around. They're the ones who are shutting out you know, everything in their life. It's like things exist to provide stimuli. And what I was going to come full circle on is creativity to me comes from a place of, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to shut out creativity because everyone wants to feel control and they want to feel comfortable. And I think a lot of my creativity comes when I open up. And just have open conversations or open time to reflect. So yeah, I think a lot of the people that look at a, a headline or a tagline and they're like, "Oh, marketing, huh? You guys don't, do, oh, you guys don't do anything." You know, those are the people that really are unhappy deep down inside. Because if a commercial can't move you, some of the greatest commercials of all time, like a good commercial that I saw recently was a Super Bowl commercial for Jeep, and it was. Jurassic Park inspired and it was a Jeep flying through the back roads and it was an unbelievably executed commercial. But it took me back right to when I saw Jurassic Park for the first time. Jeff Goldblum was in it. It was incredible. I don't care how much they spent on it. Like I was moved. And I'm a marketer. I know exactly what went into that. So. Right. I think that's an interesting thing right there is how many times are we in a meeting where someone will comment about how it doesn't impact them or I didn't see that or I would never click on that. And we as we're so we are, you know, not necessarily burned out, but we're desensitized to this stuff. I think there's something interesting about being creative and keeping that, that nerve exposed to the work we do or else we're going to start creating the cold work as opposed to creating the things that's going to move someone. We often look at this stuff and we think everyone's seen it. Everyone knows that everyone gets that. And the reality is, is we're super responsive to it because that's our work. Mm. And so something that we see and we think doesn't work or we think does work. The reality is, is people I grew up with in Virginia don't know what the hell it is. And so sometimes we probably fail to consider that greater public. And it's that, you know, East Coast, West Coast, you know, the higher educated urban groups are seeing and doing. And then we you only create for those people. You know, a lot of TV shows have struggled with that. And so that's a route of creativity is we could easily start creating or if we haven't already create for those people and therefore we fail our clients because we can't get out of ourselves. We can't open up a nerve. We get caught up too much in our own worlds. It's easy to do, man. In my own world, like I could think back to a distant memory. You know, I also think about gratitude and I think a lot of people don't, I don't think, generally speaking, I don't observe. I'm not going to say that I don't think people do this. I don't observe people going back in their past and thanking individuals for being a big impact on their life. And, you know, I've been getting into watching a lot of Hall of Fame induction speeches. And so in my free time, I watch a lot of NBA Hall of Fame induction speeches. And it's super inspirational because you can see the personality of the player come out, how deep their gratitude runs, who they recognize, their pathway to get to where they were. And there's a really, I mentioned sports earlier, but sports were a big driver of my creativity because you have to outfox those that are around you 
while also banding together your teammates. Mm. So there's this constant positive negative balance of like, I need to outfox these people while getting these people to follow me. And that's exactly what we do every day in marketing, right? I need to outfox our competition and bring all these individuals together. And, you know, if you ever want to really feel connected, listen to these Hall of Fame induction speeches. You know, people like Jordan, a lot of things that you would never know. One of the greatest players of all time. Shaquille O'Neal teaches you levity, teaches you true gratitude, teaches you perspective. And these are people that you you watch Shaquille O'Neal on Kazam or you watch him on, on the court and you'd be like, what? I've always thought he had a unique charm, but listening to his induction speech, bar none, it was unbelievable. Super, super learning for me. And so I've been doing that a lot of my on the side because I also watch a lot of speeches. I like to see other people talk and I, I like to see other people that are not genuine when they speak because it teaches me like, am I being present? Did I mean what I just said? And so I've been wrangling now, you know, early 30s. I'm wrangling a lot with who is Brian? What does Brian like to do? Where does he find solace? What is real? What is fake? And that's where I think uh, now I'm using, I'm trying to control, to your point, creativity. I'm trying to control my own creativity to look inside myself and say like, okay, what about me do I want to maintain? And what about me should I reflect on? And when you start to reflect and you start to see other people's lives, and who's really happy and who and who I perceive as to be sad or whatever. Like a lot of that stuff has been valuable for me. If anyone's going to have a perspective on the creativity of people around them, it would be you, especially based off what you just said. A big part of this, like I said, is understanding that we we approach creativity differently. Some people, it's what they do. Some people, it's what we do. Some people, it's who they are. And what we consider good creative versus what we consider a good creative approach are vastly different. You know, we, Adam Sofer and I found a lot of similarities between coding and writing, you know, but he looks at things in a structured approach and I look at things in a more fluid approach. Mm -hmm. You have a wild, intense Tasmanian devil style of creativity. You are impactful. When you're creating, when you're thinking, people around it know. They can feel it and they certainly can hear it. I appreciate that. But how do you consider the other person in the room? How do you consider the other creatives? How do you consider the other creative styles? I don't do it enough. I think my one of my biggest downfalls as a leader is uh, I lead in the dictator style where you know I'm at the front of the room and I want I want to drag everyone with me whether they want to come or not. And you know, oftentimes I'll jump to conclusions about someone's style if it's way different than mine. So I think one of my biggest downfalls as a leader is that I don't I don't take into account enough of what's going on in someone else's head. They might be processing information way slower. But this is a problem that's not unique to my 20s and 30s. Mm. I've been doing this since I was seven years old, first grade. You know, I've been that kid, that guy. I think until I really harness my own confidence, until I learn to speak last, control my creativity. To your question, I I don't think I'm going to take into account enough. So I think I need to design better ways to get other people's thinking out first. And that's why I really like being a director. I like being a director because I could come in the room and very quickly get up to speak contextually. And they've had a chance to already think and I haven't, you know, stifled them or stifled any growth. But like, yeah, I, you know, I could be a real pain in the ass when I, I force an idea down someone's throat and they're like, well, that's a good idea. I don't need to think anymore. And that's, that's really bad for creativity. Mm. But at the same time, like ego is going to get you pretty far. You know, most of the ideas are pretty good. So I, of course, I'm going to try to push them because I think that they are. Mm. But you asked me a good question the other day and you said, how much of what you did made the creative product better or made you happy because you thought that your vision was coming to life? And I was like, that's a great question. 
most cases, I'm pushing my own intentions or agenda. And when that happens, it's great. In other cases, I really do think I'm making the creator product better because I'm making people think deeper. So I, not really answering the question, but I don't think at all about other people's approach. No, and and I don't either. That was actually the conversation that started this entire podcast <laughs> was I was close-minded on what creativity was. I saw it as one thing and that was my creative style. And that was it. And I recognize other people could be creative, but not in the same way. And you know, I think it actually, we had conversation over Mexican that started the whole thing. That got me talking to other creatives about creativity. And that was like, wow, I'm going to make a podcast about this today. When you were talking about having to pitch? Because we had two conversations. First Mexican or second? Second Mexican. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Let's go get Mexican again. <laughs> yeah. Third time. We have good conversations. I can give you a ton of time, but we have to pause only because I have a three. Okay. No, I'll let you get back to work. Like I said, I do these quick. I take people from their work and I send them back. One last thing. Based off this, give me a name for this podcast. The Rebel Within. Rebel Within. All right. Everyone's had a name suggestion. Every single episode has a different name. It's either The Rebel Within or The Rebel Inside. All right. I like it. Brian cool. Senna. Thanks, dude.